Hey everybody, I'm Daniel J from the Drunk Turkey Show, and today we're talking about the possible defense um, or attack that the defense is going to do for Brian Koberger. Before everybody gets, you know, in a bunch, uh, this does not mean that he's innocent. This does not mean that I think he's innocent or that I think that this case does is lacking evidence. Um, what I'm doing is just going through the probable cause affidavit. Brian's um, court-appointed attorney in Pennsylvania. Um, came out recently and said that he saw a bunch of holes, some that were similar to the ones that I had been seeing. And today I just kind of want to put those together. Now, the PCA, the probable cause affidavit, was put together before the search warrant, the arrest warrant, and the pickup of the vehicle, uh, and the search warrant that is at his on his vehicle, and the search warrant at his residence there in Pullman, Washington. And so the evidence that they could have after those searches could be enough to nail Brian Kohlberger to the wall for this crime. But what I'm talking about is what is in the probable cause affidavit and what we should expect to see the defense or how we should expect to see the defense attack the problem, the PCA. So first and foremost, what I want to get into is the, uh, the white vehicle that Kohlberger was operating. It is stated in the probable cause affidavit that a vehicle matching his description of his vehicle was seen on a couple of different um, video cameras. It is described in there that the um, license plate of the suspect vehicle was missing. In fact, we'll, we'll bring that up right here. We'll look at the probable cause affidavit. This is going on from page four to five. It says a review of camera footage indicated a white sedan here after suspect vehicle one was observed traveling westbound on the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive in Mos Moscow at approximately 3.26 a.m. and westbound on Snyder on Steiner Avenue in Idaho State 95 in Moscow, Moscow at approximately 3.28 a.m. On this video, it appeared suspect vehicle one was not displaying a front license plate. Now, why that is important is that is a unique identifier that the police are looking at as far as identifying which vehicle, if they can um, say more than likely than not, if that vehicle is the same one. Um, Koberger at the time was utilizing Pennsylvania license plates, which at the which did not require a front plate. And so you can kind of put those two things together. Here's where um, my issues come about. So you have this document stating that there was a, uh, a ping and I'll pull it up for you guys. Okay, so on November 13th at Approximately 2.42, Koberger's phone, Koberger's phone was utilizing cell services that provided coverage to his apartment complex. Um, at approximately 2.47, that, that cell service began to travel south, consistent with what they believe Koberger's phone was where it was going at, at that time. Investigators were given access to a video footage on Washington State University uh, campus and that approximately 2.44 a.m., November 13, a white sedan, which is consistent with the description of the white Elantra known as Suspect 1. So my opinion, I'm believing that it also includes a vehicle without a front license plate, was observed on WSU surveillance cameras traveling north on Southeast Nevada Street at the Northeastern Stadium Way. Yeah, well, let's pull that up. Let's see exactly where that's at. And so 
according to the documents that we just saw, Koberger was pinged at 242 here and a vehicle matching the description that um, appears to be his vehicle was seen at 244 traveling northbound on Stadium Way, uh, which is this street right here, Stadium Way and Southeast Nevada Street. So in this, this right here is Southeast Nevada Street. So he was traveling northbound here two minutes after he was pinged at his residence. Now, the problem with that is it typically takes six minutes to travel at 2.44 a.m. to get from that direction down to here. Now, is there another possible means of travel to go this way? Yes, I think it would be longer though than six minutes. The estimated travel is just shy of two, two miles. So that would indicate if, if Brian Koberger left this residence and got here two minutes later, and then he would have had to have been traveling at approximately what 60 miles an hour, give or take, without being stopped or um, having to go through any stop signs or red lights. Is it plausible? Yeah, possible. I mean, is it possible? Yeah, plausible. I'm not too certain about that. Now, that document that we had just just read stated that at 326, um, a vehicle matching the description of Koberger's was traveling westbound. A review of the camera footage indicated that a white sedan hereafter suspect vehicle number one was observed traveling westbound on the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive in Moscow at approximately 326 and then westbound on Steiner Avenue on Idaho, at Idaho State 95 at approximately 328. They also say that it's starting at 329 and ending at 420. The sightings of the suspect vehicle one makes initial passes to King Road. So what that says is this vehicle was on a direct travel from the initial point, which is westbound on, on, um, on the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive. Well, let's look at where the 700 block of Indian Hills Drive is. 700 block of Indian Hills Drive is in this area. The... Um, the, the witness, the victim's home is over here, east of this direction. Now, Steiner and I-95 is right here. And then it's, so this direction of travel would be suspected to be in this area, across this direction and into this area. Problem with this is, is Brian would have been traveling from the east to the west. How did, um, you know, why would he be in this area and then travel directly from here this way? There's been some um, speculation that there may have been more than one person involved in this situation. Uh, that would explain maybe perhaps he had to go pick somebody up over here and then bring them this direction. Uh, that would also explain why when later on he uh, turns on his, um, his phone, he is it is what almost 28, almost 30 minutes after um, the the initial incident had occurred, but he's only about 10 minutes away. So there's a missing time of about 20 minutes there. Could it be because he went to somebody else's residence somewhere in this area? We don't know. Now, he headed from east to west in this neighborhood, traveling directly here. My speculation would have been that he would have immediately passed by to see if they were awake at that time. Even if he didn't have the nerve or was building up the nerve, I think he would have passed by initially and then gone driven around perhaps. And then maybe once he had the nerve to commit this crime, uh, gone back and he just randomly found his way out here. But there isn't any video of him coming into town. There isn't any video of him 
um, being around, you know, how he made his way into this neighborhood to begin with. These are questions that the defense are going to bring up and are going to ask, you know, how, why is he coming from this direction? There's no, there's no rhyme or reason for him to be in this neighborhood. Now, the pings themselves are a bit of a, um, a bit of a question mark for me as well. This is a rural area, um, you know, typically those type of triangulation of the pings aren't very uh, accurate, so to speak. But before we move on, I want to remind everybody to hit the like and subscribe button. This type of content usually doesn't get monetized. And what that means is it doesn't get thrown out there as much as most content would. And the algorithm will kick up once you hit the like button and comment what your guys' thoughts and theories are on this case. So if you would do us a favor, leave us a comment, leave us a like, leave us a subscribe. We'd appreciate that. Now, back to the uh, the case here. So right here on page 15 of the uh, probable cause affidavit, states investigators found that on 8458 phone did, not, did connect to a cell phone tower that provides service to Moscow on November 14, 2022, but investigators do not believe that that phone was in Moscow on that day. That phone is not connected to any towers provided service to Moscow since. So he hadn't gone back to that area. But the biggest question mark here is the fact that it did connect to a cell phone tower in Moscow when he wasn't believed to have been there. That tells me that those those pings are un, are unreliable, and the defense are going to try to use this situation and this occurrence as a means to get all the pings thrown out, including the ones that are prior to the incident that had occurred on November thirteenth in the early morning hours. And so the um, the twelve times that he was in the area is, you know, the, the defense are going to say based on this, it's possible that he was. You know, in and near around that 111-12 King, uh, King Road, and it's also possible that he was elsewhere in the in the uh, in the city or even at home and still pinging nearby, just because of the fact that the reliability of this isn't that high. It's indicated in here, and uh, it's going to leave a lot of question marks there. The next question mark that I have when it comes to this vehicle is the change of the year. So this vehicle is stated that it was um, a 2011 through 13 was what everybody was told. That's what press release it came out. And inside this um, press release, it talks about the description of the vehicle. Let me see if I can find that real quick. Uh, it states that investigators initially thought that it was a 2011 to 13, um, but later then decided that it could have been a 2013 uh, to 16 as well, or 2011 through 16. Uh, my question is, when exactly did they uh, figure that out? Was that after they had initially suspected or had suspected that Kohlberger was the, uh, the possible actor in this incident? I think so. When you look at the fact that, when you look at, had they thought of the possibility of the actor being in a newer model vehicle and they not had a suspect in mind, don't you think that would have been information for the public to have known to keep on the eye, uh, lookout? You know, a lot of people may have been not considering Koberger that were close to Koberger because of the fact that he drove a 2015. I think that the defense here is going to question why they changed the vehicle and if that was because it fit their narrative not so much because of the evidence proving or, or or showing that that being the indication 
Now, the difference between a 2015, 2016, 2014 Elantra versus an 11 through 13 is uh, is minimal. Uh, headlights, taillights are different. Um, there is a facelift, so some of the uh, um, the holes in the front bumper are are in a different place. All those things are interchangeable. It's within the same um, generation, so to speak. You can put a 2015 headlight on a 2013, and it'll snap right in. It'll just look newer, so to speak. And so I'm I'm super, you know, concerned about the change in the year of the car. Now, when we go to DM statement, there's a there's a few things there, and I'm not victim shaming or, or, or any of those things. I don't believe that's the right thing to do in this situation. Nobody knows how they're going to act until they're in that type of situation. You have fight, flight, you have fight, and you have freeze when you have a, a situation like this. And sometimes, um, you know, it's possible that she did freeze. Um, but the description of Brian Kohlberger is going to become a, a question mark. The fact that it was dark, it was not well lit, person's wearing a mask, and this person has described herself as being in shock and in fear. Those are all things that can lead to an unreliable witness. Um, you know, w was there a lineup that was taking place after the fact? You know, they um, they suspected Kohlberger for a minute. You know, they found his driver's license uh, after, well, they found out which vehicle his was his after doing a search based on the vehicles that were permitted to be on the campuses of WSU and on the University of Idaho, they found his tag, they they called it in, they checked his license plate, they checked for his license and looked at the picture of the license and also the description based uh, from the license stating that he was, you know, six foot, 185 pounds and the pictures included that he had bushy eyebrows. Now, I would argue if I was the defense that that could be a lot of people that go to that school or attend that school or even folks that drive by. They had indicated earlier that they had over 20,000 vehicles that matched the description of the white Elantra in the in the state or in the vicinity. And so um, how many of those folks driving those type of vehicles would match that description? I would reckon a lot of males would. And so you know, her description of Brian Kohlberger is pretty much one of the few things that puts Brian Kohlberger in the house. Now, I know everybody's going to say the DNA on the sheath. However, that just puts him in contact with the sheath at one point. It doesn't mean that he was in contact with the sheath that night. He could have handled it in a bunch of different ways. And that's what the defense is going to argue. Um, but we'll talk more about that sheath later. There is nothing else in this probable cause affidavit that puts Brian Kohlberger in the house um, at all. And so um, except for the description of a person that um, Dylan had st stated that she had seen at the uh, around 4 a.m. in the, uh, the time at the time of the incident. And so I believe that in my opinion, it's uh, that witness statement is not going to be one that's going to be used or, or could be used. It's going to be destroyed by the, the defense team just based on the parameters of where, what, when, and, and how the, the description came about. Now, the leather sheath um, had some DNA on the snap. It is, in my opinion, um, <laughs> Um, I don't know what kind of DNA, I'm sorry. I don't know what type of DNA that was on the sheath. Uh, it 
sounds like it was on the button. So in my opinion, I would believe that it was a touch DNA. Some at one point, Brian Kohlberger handled that sheath. The defense is going to argue that handling the sheath and being the actor in this incident are two different things and possibly could be, you know, a different person that used the sheath afterwards, used the, uh, the weapon and that at only at one point and who knows how long ago that Brian Kohlberger must have handled that sheath. Also, the fact that the sheath is made out of leather, you know, kind of brings a question mark. Now, Brian had been stating that and his family had came out stating that he was he had like a, a, an extreme form of vegan where and, and it's not uncommon. I've heard it before that there has been uh, people so dedicated to the cause that they won't, you know, eat meat off of a grill or pans or, or anything that was prepared. I mean, they won't eat food that was prepared off of pans, grills, things of that nature that were prepared, that had prepared meat. In fact, I think there was a uh, famous uh, incident or case or lawsuit that occurred um, with Burger King and their Impossible Burger because somebody was upset that the fact that they cooked the Impossible Burger meat on the, uh, on the same grill that was cooking um, the regular flame broiled meat that they use on, on, on their regular... Um, uh, for the regular Whopper. Now, I looked it up. I anticipate that this is probably, you know, a uh, the knife is probably one of um, better quality. I don't think it's a cheap knife. Uh, I'm sure there's different grades of quality when you purchase a knife, um, even the same type of knife. Um, and so I would assume based on the destruction that this knife did and the amount of people that were involved in this incident, that it would be a more durable knife, probably one of the more expensive ones. And that would probably lead me to believe that it, it entailed a, having a real leather sheath. Now, this is what I found just kind of searching it up. And it said the sheath is made is handmade, is made by hand. Every single piece of leather is cut by hand. It's 100% high quality Italian leather made with 3.5 millimeter, very durable leather. The sheath thickness is more than one centimeter. So for those that don't know, leather is from cows. And so, you know, him promoting or purchasing items that, you know, he wouldn't eat meat off of pans of, I find this to be a little bit odd. But then again, it could be something that he planted purposely and left there and to throw off that, hey, you know, this guy's a vegan. There's no way possibly, and you know, if he was ever sought it out or thought of it being a, a suspect, he can go to this as a, as a reason to say that it wasn't him and purposely left it there, cleaned it, but didn't do a good job doing so and left his DNA on the snap. Those things are both plausible and, and, and in my opinion, when it comes to this case, probable. But when it comes to court, it's not so much what you know, it's, it's kind of what you can prove there. And, you know, you can prove that he was a, uh, his habits and eating habits that was before and prior to this incident. Um, you have family members that can go in there and attest to that. And so, and I'm sure he, he's, he's documented a lot of things on social media and whatnot. So I'm sure there's a paper trail when it comes to that. The next thing I want to talk about is the footprint that was left there. Now, if you look at the, um, at the uh, probable cause affidavit, and we'll pull that up real quick. During the process of the crime scene, investigators found a latent shoe print 
This was located during the second processing of the crime scene by the ISP forensic team by first using presumptive uh, blood test and then amino black, a protein stain that detects the presence of cellular material. The detected shoe print showed diamond shaped patterns similar to the patterns of the van's shoe sole outside of the door of DM's bedroom located on the second floor. This was consistent with DM's statement regarding the suspect's path of travel. Well, a couple of things that I noticed there is that there's only one shoe print, right? Where are the rest? Um, they must have walked into or stepped into blood. And why isn't there anything else that is populating? One theory could be that the killer mopped up behind him. I'm not entirely sure that's the case. I think that would have left some noise and Dylan would have put that in her statement. The other thing is this wasn't seen by the naked eye. Right. This was done after a blood test and with the black light and the whole nine yards. Right. So is it possible that this is an old shoe print? Maybe perhaps somebody at a house party at one point got a bloody nose for some reason and someone stepped in it. Uh, this doesn't say that it's a full shoe print. And the reason why I, I suspect that it's not a full shoe print is that a size isn't isn't attached to this. This doesn't say, a, you know, similar to a men's size 11 or whatever the case may be. It is very vague in as far as the size. Um, so I suspect and the defense is probably going to go into this and say, you know, this is possibly a shoe print of a uh, somebody that stepped in some form of blood at a party. Uh, and that could have been anybody's. We all saw the 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 body cam footage of the um, of officers going to that house on numerous occasions for loud noise and how many people were inside and and at times people were there when the residents were. And so um, I think the defense is going to be able to to explain that a little bit more. Now there's the Wi-Fi router. You know I know that Steve uh, Kaylee's dad came out and stated that. He had, uh, Brian had been close enough to connect to their Wi-Fi router. Um, my question is at that point then, like, is that Wi-Fi router um, open and free? And, you know, if that's the case, then then Brian would be, uh, he's, he's, he's locked in dead to the nail, to the wall. You know, if, you know, if he had connected to their Wi-Fi router. I, I don't think that that's true, though. Because I think that that would have been in here. You know, they put in the pings of the 12 times that he'd been in the area. Don't you think they would have put in the fact that he'd also connected to their Wi-Fi services several times throughout this period? Um, and then I would put on there that the uh, Wi-Fi router is public. Anybody can connect to it. And so it is possible that he connected to it without the, noti the, the notice or permission or um, knowledge of the owners or renters of the house of the victims. And the second aspect of that is if that wasn't the case and he was just close enough several times or whatever the case may be in that his phone could be detected or could pick up the router. That's not how a router works. A router doesn't go out detecting other devices. A router opens up the option to be detected so that other devices can connect to it. And so until that connection happens, that Wi-Fi router wouldn't know how many vehicles or how many um, devices were attempting or were nearby that could connect, if that makes any sense. And so I have some question marks about that. And the last thing that I have a question about or that I think that the defense is going to be questioning is the southbound travel. 
Um, apparently, after the incident, um, Brian Kohlberger traveled south towards Blaine, Idaho, per the pings, depending on how reliable those are. And he traveled. Um, man, well, let's pull it up real quick. So it's stated that he started traveling south in this direction, then towards Genesee and then Unionton and then back up. And then they have actual footage of him traveling up through um, through Pullman back to his apartment complex. So they see him at 526 pulling into Pullman, which this is also a little bit weird, is that he's coming in from this direction. Now... Could he have? Could could he be on a trout on a road that goes that direction? Yeah. However, the um, probable cause affidavit leads you to believe that he was traveling um, from here down this direction because he is seen exiting or not seen. He is speculated to be of exiting in this direction. The only issue that I have with this is one: the pings aren't very reliable. And this is heading south and going in a bunch of different directions. Um, now this could be just motion detection, but these sure do look like cameras attached to it too. See, that looks like the motion and that looks like the camera. Why isn't there camera motion detector, right? Why isn't there, why isn't there a video of him heading south of Highway 95 if the pings have him going in that direction? And that's relatively, in my opinion, um, if he's traveling out of, we'll put it out here. If he's traveling out of this neighborhood here and he's seen on Willenta Drive heading south at 420, you know, there's only a few places he could exit. He could exit out here or he can exit out here or find his way exiting out back over here where he was already on camera. And if he ended up going southbound, I mean, maybe perhaps he did exit here and head this direction. And then I don't, I don't know if that street comes back all the way around to here. I just don't understand why he's not on camera leaving town. Now, the pings uh, that it came out earlier that they were looking for video camera footage was uh, the boundary was right here off of Taylor, 95. Um, Palouse River and the uh, Botanical Gardens, but they also extended the camera search all the way down to the 2700 block of Highway 95. So I had indicated early on that I felt that they suspected he traveled southbound. Just things that make me wonder and, and question, you know, and things that I think that the defense are going to be coming out and, and asking themselves. They're going to say, you know, one, is there a, another white car that matches the same description that doesn't have the front license plate that is seen roughly at the same time where Brian is pinged at his residence? 
And the next question is, why is he coming from east and traveling west um, on video when he was traveling from Pullman, which is west eastbound? Uh, the pings, their reliability, you know, the uh, the fact that he connected into Moscow on the 14th um, when investigators believe he wasn't there. The changing of the year of the vehicle, you know, from 2011 to 13 to broadening it up to 2016. They're going to question the witness statements. They're going to bring up the leather sheath and the DNA that's on there and, and explain the possibilities of why it's there. They're going to talk about that footprint and how old that footprint could have been and why there's only one. Did somebody clean up the scene and why, you know, according to this probable cause affidavit, the direction that this person was traveling, he was exiting out this residence and the uh, police believe him to have been gone at 420. They heard the uh, thud and they heard the, uh, the voices and the whimpering at approximately 417. So did he have time to clean up the scene? Or did somebody else clean up the scene? Or was it a footprint from a while ago? The Wi-Fi router, um, that was something that was brought up by Steve. I don't think I don't think that if well, let me retrace that. If that is a possibility and Steve brought it up because that's something that was told to him, then that might be brought up there. It also is a possibility that maybe something was told to Steve, which is Kaylee's dad. And he misinterpreted that and, and thought that to have been that he connected to the Wi-Fi of Brian Koberger, that is. And the southbound travel outside of Moscow. Those are, in my opinion, what the defense is going to attack. Let me know in the comment section what you guys think about those questions. Do you think they're easily explainable by the prosecution? Do you think that the defense has no case here? I, for one, do think that the police have probably got it right. I tend to lean on the work of the police department. Uh, you know, I just think there might be some holes in this case and some question marks that need to be answered. Now, again, this probable cause affidavit was written and drawn up prior to Brian Koberger being arrested, prior to the search warrant on his apartment complex and prior to the uh, recovery of the white Elantra that he was driving and the process of the evidence and possible DNA evidence inside those vehicles and his residence. And so there could be some uh, evidence out there that nails this guy to the wall. I sure do hope so, because at the end of the day, all I'm looking for is justice for these individuals and their families. And, and then hope that the police take this monster off the street for good. Let me know in the comment section what you guys think. Please hit that like and subscribe button on your way out. I'm Daniel J. This is the Drunk Turkey Show. Don't forget, guys, we're going to go live tonight. I think we're going to be talking some UFOs. We're going to get away from the true crime for a night uh i believe russia shut down and shut down shot down a ufo the other day we're gonna be talking about it you don't want to miss it hit that notification bell